Hello and welcome back to the Mean Mind Podcast. Our guest today is Kenzie Karlstrom. Thanks for coming on the show, Kenzie. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited. So we've known each other for, I don't even know, over five years probably. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll just start out with what I know about you. You are a Canadian citizen as well as a U.S. citizen. Yes. You spent a fair amount of time in both countries as a young adult. Yep. You are a realtor. You have a few different brands. So why don't you just kind of jump into what, like a quick summary of your, um, I guess the different brands you have or kind of your, a quick summary of your story. Well, I grew up here. Um, and then I moved to British Columbia when I was eight years old, family moved up there. And then I came back down right after high school and spent from when I was 17 on and off, I was living in Hood River and then over in Western Australia, um, oh, yeah. pursuing a little bit of a summer, endless summer as we like to do. Was that just for fun? Um, I was an au pair. I was a nanny. Mm. And yeah, it was funny. It was fun. I was avoiding going to college right away because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to study. And I'm pretty grateful for t taking that path because it was a bit scary. I think our society forces us to go to school and go study something second post-secondary education. And I definitely was not raised in a conventional family that went to public school. So just right. continuing that path was, um, I guess, not totally surprising. And so, then did you go study right after that? No, I came back to the United States on and off. So I'd spend six months there, six months here. And then I got into my bathing suit company when I lived in Australia. So I knew I wanted to have some sort of company that was, had my personality in it. So I started drawing bikinis while the kids slept while I was a nanny. Mm. And then coincidentally, Australia is very close to one of the largest fabric producers, Indonesia. So mm. I flew up to Indonesia for resetting my visa because <laughs> you have sure. to get out of the country. Right. And uh, I started Venture Swim, which was a bathing suit company. And then that was for the last, those three years that I was going back and forth. And so did you ever end up going to school? I went to school in 2019 to become a Be nurse. And that was... Oh, 20. Okay. 2019. So that was... After, way after yeah. living on Australia, just finally thought, okay, I'm ready to pursue nursing because I've really just resonated with a ton of nurses. I think they're so rad. They have the greatest lifestyles. They can take time off and they still work. Right. Uh, started pursuing nursing. It wasn't for me. Why not? Um, well, it was during, so school was online. It was right when COVID happened was when I got into nursing school because I was going to the prerequisites. And at the exact same time, I was also working in the real estate industry. So I had gotten in at the same time of nursing and thought, I'll just manage both because I love doing multiple things all at once. I definitely got overwhelmed, realized nursing was not for me and fell in love with real estate. Mm. So, and so at what point, so you've been doing the bikini thing the whole time. Then you at the same, at the same time, you decided to pursue nursing and real estate, but then real estate's kind of taken over and that's where you are today. For sure. Yeah. So I started as an executive assistant, um, to a pro top producer in Hood River and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. I started realizing, wow, this is something I really am passionate about. Uh, my family is pretty into real estate. So I 
thought I wouldn't do it because I'm not going to do what my parents do. Right. And then, um, you know, Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. And how, so how has it been in the real estate business? Have you liked it? Are you... Oh my gosh. It's been so fun. I, I cannot imagine a career that's more fitting to being able to talk to people and being able to be out there, um, just in life and embracing what I already like to do. Right. And then really being rewarded for how hard you work. I think that's one of the really unique things about working for yourself as well. You could just pedal to the metal and work as hard as you can and you'll get rewarded for that rather than just working an hourly job where no matter how hard you work, that's all that you're going to get paid. You know, I think it's really quite cool to work harder and be rewarded. Are you almost always, are realtors always paid only on commission? Almost traditionally. Yeah. Most, almost always. Interesting. Um, so what's the, what's kind of the hardest part about being a realtor for you? Ooh, time management. And, uh, I'm really bad at saying no. So sometimes I can overwork myself. Mm. And how do you handle that? How do you, uh, what are you doing to resolve that? (laughs) We're still working on that. (laughs) Yes. The relationship with the workaholic in me is, uh, a constant battle. Mm. I blame my parents for that one. They were also entrepreneurs. So. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems you're the third realtor that's come on, come on the show. And it, like you said, they love talking. So it's it's interesting because this is like, like, I wonder how many more realtors I'm going to have on the show (laughs) because they're just the kind of person that's willing to chat. Um, But did you see yourself, like, where did you see yourself when you were a kid? Where did you think that you'd be, what did you think you'd be doing or what were your dreams? I had a new dream every day. I'd wake up and say, I'm going to be a pilot. Now I'm going to work in the fashion industry. Now I want to be, there were so many different options. So every day was basically a new, new idea. I think I would wake up and, you know, tell my mom my new favorite color, my new outfit that I already changed four times in the morning. And then that I have a new career idea that I'm going to be. Interesting. But does it, does it make it, I'm kind of a similar person. I, I never knew. I was almost more focused on like the, the tone of the life I wanted to live, like, you know, being happy and being active and those sorts of things. But for me, it makes it hard to, like, I really have to force myself to write down my goals and really, really think about what the reality that I want to create actually looks like. Is it hard for you to, to keep yourself on track and stay focused? Ah, that's an interesting question. I don't think I have any issues with staying focused when I'm passionate about it. So when I was a kid, I competed in gymnastics for nine years. Um, I started when I was two. <laughs> My mom put me in gymnastics very young because I was bouncing around the house. I fell in love with that sport and I pursued it till I was 18. I think that gave me so much clarity on how if you pursue something, you can excel at it. And so knowing that I had to focus in a sport has really translated into work. What do you think gave you, did your parents teach you that if you pursue something, you can excel at it? Or did you just have that innate spark to realize that? Ooh, that's a nature versus nurture kind of question. Um, I would say that it's definitely a combination. It's, it was in me. My parents were both athletes. They both pursued things on their own. Um, it was an innate nature, I guess, that I did that. But I think I was also trained that, you know, if I put 
my head down and work really hard at any sport, whether it was ski racing or gymnastics. I had to choose at one time, and gymnastics really, you know, shone through. Or whether it was entrepreneurship, like at some point you just realized, oh, I can start like four different brands, or, <laughs> you know, a few different brands and be a realtor. Like, yeah, I think that comes down to I'm making sure that I don't want to burn out on anything. So if I have multiple fires burning, if I get bored of one for a second, I can move to the other. Mm. And I think that really can, it like satisfies my different sides of the brains, whether it's like art and business and, um, sports. Does it make it hard to do one focus on one when you have so many different? There's some days that I have lists of like, okay, make sure that I get all these things done. And it's all the different brands and trying to make sure that they all are feeling the, you know, they're feeling loved and cared for. <laughs> so how are you? So I feel like it's, I have a really hard time accept, accepting when I'm not good at something. It's, and when you, mm. when you have a bunch of different things burning and you don't have the time to dedicate to one thing that you might, since you have four things going, are you good at kind of accepting that, you know what, you just got to do things and then move on and not dwell on how well you did it. Just do it and go. I truly love to be bad at things because I love to fail. I think it's such a great um, tool to success later. I mean, I can think of so many things. The first bathing suit I made was so bad. <laughs> like, I mean, I tried to wear it at the beach and it was just such a joke. And I thought, wow, I really need some help on this. And I hired a mentor to help me. What was so bad about it? I put the stretch the wrong way. Like stretch should always go around the body, not down. So it doesn't sag. And like the, like the grain of the, of the, the actual stretch. So where it's more stretchy because oh, okay. most material, yeah. even though they, it's four way stretch, it's often stretchier in one direction. And did you specify that or did you just not? Oh, I had no it? idea at the beginning. I just didn't know that that was even a thing. Right. I just started cutting up some material. Who knows what, how it was going to fit. Oh, cause you sewed it to you. <laughs> yeah. What is that even called? I was not. sewing all the pieces yeah, originally. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I imagine you've, so you basically just love to fail on purpose. Well, because you learn so much. I say it every day. I always say I'm a dry sponge. I love to soak up what everyone else has to say. Um, sometimes I struggle with that, but my dad reminds me that I have two ears and one mouth. And are you, so I feel like there's a lot, you're making it sound really easy. <laughs> Would you agree that it was at one time wasn't easy for you or has it always it's, been easy? For it's you? never easy. No, I don't think it ever is. I think when you look back in it, it's definitely, um, you can, it, you can appreciate it more, but no, when you're in the moment, it's like, how am I going to get through this? But I love a challenge. So. How can I make it better next time? Mm. So how do you encourage, how would you encourage someone who wants to start their own brand to, to do it and to not be afraid? Like, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to start and starting small is the best way. I mean, whether it's through teaching fitness, I mean, I taught fitness to two people for a year cause I couldn't get people to show up cause I wasn't good. Right. I made bathing suits and asked all my friends to try them on and they were terrible. Right. And don't, don't be afraid to ask for that criticism. I always say like, give me constructive criticism. I want it. Cause I want to know how I can improve. I was always that way with sports too. Like why didn't, why didn't I perform in that situation? Like I'd ask my coaches, what can I do better? I want to know how can I go faster down the mountain? How can I point my toes harder, do better in a score? So you don't take it personally. You don't take it to your ego. 
Oh, but I you, do sometimes for sure. So what, what are the kinds of things that affect you most? Like what are the hardest things, failures to shed off? Ooh, probably ego. When someone criticism, criticizes something that you feel like you can't change. Hmm. I think it's different when you're providing a service or a product because that's so easily changed. But if they're like, I didn't like the way you reacted to that, I'm going to take that personally. <laughs> right. I'm going to try to improve on it. But So do you know, do you have like a, a, a career, I guess I'm trying to think of the right word. In my, in my industry, it'd be like a product development path. But like, do you have like a plan for where you want to take your brands and do you have clear goals are you big on setting goals or do you just Ooh, the big lengthy goals scare me off i wish oh, really? i was better at bigger goals of like what why am do I they, gonna why be? do they scare you off because i think there's so much that can happen along the journey that can really pave a different path like i started attending a studio in town when i was i don't know 17 i didn't know that i was really craving a fix after i had just retired from gymnastics lo and behold, I fell in love with the whole industry and became a teacher there. Mm. You know, I wouldn't have known about that life goal if I didn't just go. But what's the harm in writing down a goal or setting Ooh, a goal? Failure. I feel like I might disappoint myself. But isn't that the point of, <laughs> I imagine that you'd be really good at, because that's the hardest, I agree, that's the hardest thing about getting yourself to write down a goal is no acknowledging that I wrote this goal down and I might not achieve it. Now that's failure, but I think the bigger failure is not writing down a goal. Mm, I definitely write down yearly goals. I'll write down like, I, I like to call them intentions though. Yearly intentions of what am I going to accomplish per month? Cause I can break it down into that from a year, but I really struggle with saying, okay, am I going to like get married at 30 and do this at 29 and make sure that I've got all my ducks in a row? Like that would disappoint me if I didn't make those like life achievements. Right. So what are your intentions? What are your big intentions? For the next year? Sure. What are your, your bit long-term, whatever, however far you Well, you I think. write them in January, <laughs> New okay. Year's every year. Last year I had told my, or written down, told myself that I definitely wanted to spend more of my winter in central Oregon. And I've been moving down there and spending more time in the sunshine in the winter. So being bend area mm -hmm. yeah so I said to myself like November 1st gotta be in bend um and I've been in bend in the last month so even though it wasn't easy to accomplish I, my rental didn't start and there was a bunch of hurdles to jump through but I really like needed that to happen so I just rented a place you know there's little things like that that I think can reassure yourself you're like November 1st, that's the date. Okay, let's just go no matter what everything happens, what else happens. And why did you want to go down there? I wanted more sunshine. Mm. Um, not a huge fan of dreary Pacific Northwest. So, and I love to ski and I just wanted to have more. I don't mind the cold and growing up on the border of Alberta, um, we had sunny, cold winters with some snow. Right. So I think I'm a little more used to that. So is that the biggest intention or goal that you set for this year? Ooh, probably. Yeah. That was a big, yeah. And then what about, do you, do you think about other goals? Like, like, do you think about starting a family or do you think about starting another business or do you think about like what business are you most focused on or? 
Right now, my biggest focus is probably real estate. And then um, I have a little Airbnb that I've been running and really enjoying kind of creating that brand. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that's probably my biggest focus right now. And then what was your other question? Kids and life? Yeah, just like, yeah. What, like, do you know? I guess I'm, I'm starting to transition more towards like the, the long-term stuff, like what do you, do you think about leaving behind a legacy? Mm. Kind of what are your values? What's, what's important to you in life, you know, other than just the day-to-day of just putting your head down and working hard? It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day. I very easily find myself like, I almost like I wake up and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? I totally lost track of time and I've just been so focused on work that I forget that it's okay to take a break and it's okay to like, step back. Right. Um, and, and why are you at the end of the day, why are we working? Oh my gosh. I think about that all the time. I know <laughs> that it feeds my soul and I don't know what I would do if I didn't work it. I just love having a need and having like being appreciated. I love that I can fill a void. And also, but also we're, that's, that's part of it, right? Is like, hopefully we enjoy our work but we're also working to support ourselves, potentially our family, mm-hmm. potentially help other people, right? Yeah. But it's really, like you said, it's really easy to get lost in the day-to-day of just put your head down and all of a sudden you're like, you're confusing the tool for the goal. Totally. And sometimes I find that in my industry, there's so many different people and stories that I work with that I get caught up in a lot of their life because every day I'm talking to them about their stress and their struggles. Like I almost Mm. find real estate a bit of a therapy role. (laughs) Right. Like, like we were saying, right. When you showed up today, it's like different people, you get along with different people. Um, like, like two people, the way, just basically the way that people get along is super critical, especially in, in your environment. Everyone's chemistry is so different. I always say to people, I like, if I don't resonate or it doesn't, it doesn't vibe. Like I'd rather them go work with a different realtor. Right. Cause it's, I'm, I'm not here that there's, I'm not in the scarcity mindset. I'd rather have everyone be more of an abundance mindset. Is it hard to find people that you really get along with? Like, no, <laughs> no, but there's some that I don't, that, you know, maybe don't resonate with me and they don't, and I'm fine with it. Just don't take it personally. I think is my biggest reminder to myself. Right. Um, so kind of the the goal, the original intention behind this podcast was to uncover market uh, opportunities for innovation, right? To understand, to clarify what problems are important to address as well, because there's, there's a lot of like environmental alarmism, for example, some of which is very true, but other parts of it is like, I think gets conflated mm-hmm. by the complexity and things get oversimplified and you can actually make things worse. That's such an engineer brain you have. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it is an engineer brain. How can you fix a problem exactly. and not make it worse? Exactly. And so it's it's kind of hard because I'm I'm trying to interview people about what to figure out what their understanding of problems are Mm -hmm. but a lot of people kind of are just and rightly so they're engrossed in their own lives and I I actually find that a lot of times they might have 
there's things that they care about, but it's really hard to just on the spot bring out those things that they care about. Mm -hmm. So I really need help from you and from everyone that comes on the show to help guide me to where they're concerned or where they're passionate Mm -hmm. in terms of like problems or things, solutions, however you want to frame it. Some people are kind of opposed to the idea of problems, but whether it's in your personal life problems you're trying to solve or whether it's in the community or the region or ideologically, like are there, are there any areas within those realms that you're, would say like, yeah, I'm, I'm really like, it's, it's personal problems or it's, it's family problems or it's, it's local community problems. Yeah. It's such an interesting question. Cause I think we're so affected by our surroundings and where we live and where we've been raised. So if you were to interview someone who grew up, you know, full time in totally different country, they would have much different struggles and highlights in their past that they would say, this is the main issue. Absolutely. I mean, for us, I feel like in the gorge, everyone talks about housing as a big issue or transportation as a big issue or um, the Columbia River the, uh, toxins. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I'm trying to think of one thing that I. But that said, most people kind of mention these issues, but I find it very interesting that people around here and myself included aren't very we're not very motivated to solve these problems or change them. We like to, mm-hmm. we like to mention them almost like virtue signaling, like, Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I care about the, the Columbia river water or, or whatever it is. But unless we're taking actionable, um, actionable steps action, the, yeah, yeah, steps, then what does it really mean to just talk about them? Um, but I, I do feel like there's a lot of, <clears throat> A lot of complexity. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of, it's a conversation that's above my pay grade. Well, it's interesting. Right? Like, I think I run into issues and I'm passionate about certain issues based off of the businesses I work in. Like, I look at my bathing suit company and I'm like, gosh, I'm still using a, an oil product to make the bathing suits. That's such a bummer. Like, yeah, I can try to get recycled fishnet material, but how much of it is actually recycled or I can look at my housing issue and I'm like, wow, I own a short-term rental. That's not helping the long-term rental housing issue of the gorge. Like, am I the problem? Um, the one industry that I do love that working in is the fitness industry because I feel like I'm really solving more of a mental health issue during right when COVID hit the studio I worked at closed down and I started teaching on the ferment deck. Mm. And to me, that was such a big part of what I really wanted to symbolize with the, with the whole community is I wanted to be able to teach something where we, we stay together. Like we have, we get to see each other like in the flesh, IRL in real life every day. Um, and then I started combining with stoked and got free coffees for everyone and got these little tokens made. And I'm like, I want people to meet everyone that they work out with because community is so valuable to me. Mm, How did that you said you got tokens from Stoked. And- so I made these little tokens that say Stoked and then Sweat with Kenzie on the back. And then they use them at Stoked. And I just, um, we made a deal where I pay a discounted rate, but I took gotcha. everyone's so till at the end of the like day. It's like a little gift card for a yes. coffee that you give. And, and then- everyone started to get to know each other. So there'd be like 35 people in a class and then, but they don't know them because they're just on a mat 
look gotcha. listening at me for an hour. But it was a way to get them after class, yes. ideally, yes. to go have coffee together and make community. That's so really to me, cool. that was like a solution to a problem that I saw in my own small, like, I don't, I rarely remember a, re- a reusable bag at the grocery store because I'm forgetful or whatever. Right. That's an issue I just struggle with. Right. But an issue that I can bring my personality into and fix is community. I'm like, let's create more of a data, like more of a dynamic that we actually get to see each other and get to know each other in real life. And do you feel, is that community still blossoming that you've, or that, that sense of community, those connections that you've tried to. Yeah. So for the past three years I've taught on the deck and there's been, I mean, so many connections from it. It's just been so eye-opening that just a little thing can go a long way. And do you see though the connections that other people have made? Like, do you see them still interacting? Yes, and totally. Yeah. Oh, wow. I met. Oh, are you a Kenzie connection? Like, it's kind of a joke. Cause uh-huh. it's like, oh, we met through something that Kenzie did. You That's know? pretty cool. I love that. I feel like I agree. It all starts with coming back to unifying together and saying, hey, although we might have a lot of disagreements, like, you know, especially while Trump was in office, it was like so easy to disagree with people. Like people will always find a reason to disagree regardless of like, I think it, whether it's political, whether it's medical, whether it's, it's really, I think it, it can go into any subject. Somebody could disagree with someone, but finding the common ground is so, so crucial to me. Right. And I think that's really cool that you can look past that and say, wow, we're high off these endorphins from just doing a fitness class. Let's just like chat about who, like, who are they? You know, who are these people that are also attending and they can have any opinion on any subject, but yet they're going to go get a coffee together. Right. But I, and I feel like it's the hard thing is making it self uh, sustaining, mm-hmm. right? How do you make a community or a sense of community or commu- communal interaction that doesn't require one person constantly doing all the work yeah it needs to eventually grow and become part of our culture right that's something that's really worthwhile Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to get tired at some point totally and then and that's how I felt about teaching I just thought wow every like twice a week they come up here and then they just get in their cars and they leave and we're in such a scarcity mindset during 2020 where we were supposed to be afraid of to see people like it just didn't make any sense to me that we wanted to like diminish that and I think we personally I have I am reset and recharged by running into people and I'm definitely an extrovert so (laughs) I needed that community right and I I feel like there's other places there's other there's other places we interact with people like whether it's on the kite beach or whether it's out at a social event at a bar live music but it always feels like the community aspect is second rate to the sport, the sport or whatever the activity is, but really it should be reversed. The, the people, the community, those connections, that's really the most important thing, at least from my perspective. Yes. But I haven't found like, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to, to make, I don't know what, like, how to it's really hard to change it. culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And unless you just like you did do event after event, like, do you, did you get any glimpse into how you could make people incentivized or, or did you understand why they didn't want to keep pursuing those connections? Well, it's interesting you say that we, it's hard to train people or how to, um, recall, I guess like change culture. culture. I think we had such a cultural shift in the last two years. What, how would you describe that shift? Well, we were all in a very fear mindset and we weren't able to 
feet each other. We weren't even allowed to go mountain biking. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what? I can't go mountain biking with multiple people. Like, <laughs> right. That was a culture in, in, ingrained in me. So, but do you feel like that culture, do you still see a cultural shift yes. now that, and how, how there's would some you describe people that are still the, like, oh, I don't want to go biking because I like whatever roommate has a stuffy nose or something. And I'm like, let's just go anyways. We're outside. Right. Like I'd rather get the cold. And so, so people, does that kind of bleed into just general social interaction? People are a little more hesitant, would you say? I would say we're still recovering from it for sure. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. But so y you were saying that that's kind of a counterexample to changing culture, mm -hmm. right? So we need, we need a, a another global event to reset yeah. <laughs> our culture. And I've actually noticed, I, I do think it's kind of, forced people a lot of people and maybe I'm probably biased because my experience through COVID was like I was down in Chile oh yeah when it okay. happened and then I came back after I don't know six months into it or something so I was kind of like on you know culture shock anyways right and then we're in <laughs> lockdown and I'm like so I just dove in deep into like reading and podcasts and just learning okay and I don't know if it, it seemed like a lot of people kind of were, everyone was forced to dive into their own interest and it almost made people think more for themselves um, and maybe a little bit deeper. Um, mm, that's so interesting. I think it really did work for some, some people really found their introverted self. I always joked like check in on your extroverted friends. You know, I was not reading a book. Uh, there was no way I was going to sit on my couch and read into something I was passionate about, but I did fall in love with real estate during COVID and that was So you're I'm not very... a you're not a big reader? No. <laughs> not at all. So how how would you and you say it's because you're an extrovert? I think I just like am constantly moving. I really struggle sitting down. So how would you explain I assume you use social media mm -hmm. how is that not introverted to go on social media yeah to sit on your phone and I, I guess I'm making I make... spend a ton of time on social media okay I would say that I'm more of a participator where I post on there but I don't scroll a ton right yeah that's fair which I think is the right that's the the right <laughs> way to use social media <laughs> but I don't know who's gonna who's going to watch the posts. Right. If everyone's everyone's just, doing that. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a free therapy session, right? You <laughs> yeah, just totally. say whatever you need to say. And yeah, hopefully someone will hear it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. We were going down a thread though of changing culture and I, f I feel like the culture in hood river is everyone. It's, it's, um, everyone's well off for the most part, like relatively. Ooh, that's a blanket statement. Um, I, I would say that I'm we say, feel. Let me, let me before, before I, okay. before everyone's well off relative to most other places in the world, right? There's, there's hardly anyone here who's lower class. I would definitely say we're very rich, full of experiences, very fortunate experiences. Right. And, but it doesn't, it, it, it seems like, um, they're very selfish experiences. Mm. They all revolve around me getting adrenaline for the most part. Totally. We definitely have a, um, or getting drunk. 
<laughs> we, yeah, that's interesting. I had someone the other day say like, oh, wow, Hood River is such a drinking down. And I'm like, I, I don't really drink at all. So I don't really feel like it is, but maybe I'm always around people that are and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. You must, the adrenaline just, you, you keep the adrenaline going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Life's adrenaline. But it, it's interesting because how do you, like, if people don't, if people are content, they don't have the motivation to change the world, right? It's, or change their community, or it's the person that's uncon- discontent that's going to start a revolution. True. Um, but the people that are content are the ones that have more economic power to change things, right? For sure. Yeah. So it, it's it's kind of a paradox, and... I don't know. I, I guess I I find it interesting because like we were saying about people virtue signaling about different problems, people love to talk about problems, mm-hmm. but no one, no one wants to act on problems. And that's, um, it's almost like it's gotten, it's gotten cheaper because we have so much low friction interaction through social media. It's really easy to have all these opinions, but you're not forced to say it to someone to their face where you might get punched or I, d- I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not any different than it ever was, but I, I, I just hope that we can hack this pro this paradox of how do the well-off not have any incentive to make the world better for others as well. I feel like that's another form of getting high, right? Just like adrenaline or, um, like getting drunk, getting high on alcohol, if you mm-hmm. will. Like you can get high on helping people. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And that's like an that's like the ultimate high, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. When you when you help when you feel like you've helped someone mm-hmm. and they're thankful, there's mm-hmm. like nothing as as rewarding as that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's really that's not the American dream. The American dream, and like which I think is the closest thing that we have to culture, is like I get to. I can work as hard as I can, as I want on my own life mm-hmm. and provide the life that I want for myself. Mm-hmm. But it, we don't have a culture of, of lifting each other up together. Interesting. Huh? I, I kind of beg to differ because I do please, think there's a do. lot of people that support others in this, in, especially in this community. I mean, I, I look at like, Oh I, yeah, I so would definitely agree with that. I almost think that there's, there is a really good attitude about surrounding supporting people on their next endeavor. But I also find the opposite where all day long, maybe we've got, I think hood river has a lot of engineers and they're all working on projects that, and problems at work. Maybe they're just burnt out by the end of the day. I don't know. I'm not sure why the, why they can't focus on one problem and really dive into fixing that or creating a solution. Right. So are there any examples that come to mind when you say there are people that help other people in the community? I'm just thinking of like businesses that put on like fundraisers and events and, you know, let's send this kid to this sporting event and let's, I feel like there's a lot of that here, but I'm impressed with it for how small of a town it is. Right. I, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm one, I, I feel like, um, the, we, we help I would agree. We definitely have fundraisers and stuff like that. But then we have a, for a small town, we have a significant homeless population that's mm. definitely grown in the past few years. Like, how do we help them? How do we help the that people? That is a loaded question. I think that there's a huge issue all over. I mean, I hear it on 
multiple, I'm on, you know, real estate masterminds and real estate conferences and what do we do about it? I mean, I think we really got hit with something. It's almost like a homeless pandemic. Like there's so many homeless people and what is the solution to it? Is it that these more fortunate folk pay for something that they pay for a house for these people or pay for a roof over their head. And I think um, a lot of people will disagree and have their own opinions on what, how we should facilitate and how much we should. Right. And I feel like that's, that's a perfect example of where the important thing is that we unite on what the goal is. Oh, for sure. But I don't think we're ever going to find that (laughs) not to be negative, but I do think there's a lot. Would you agree that the goal is to get all humans a, at least a, a base level standard of living. Yes. I think it'd be hard to find many people who would disagree with that goal. I think the end Not, goal is the same, but the journey there is going to be so drastically different for everyone. And that's where we struggle. I, yeah, definitely. But I, I think too often we get sidetracked by disagreeing on how we're going to do things and then we never end up trying anything oh totally right like to your point about starting companies or or trying new things and failing if you get too caught up in how you're going to do it you're never going to start oh totally i mean i can even resonate with that a little bit on the on a smaller scale like i'm afraid to start something with someone else Mm. like a business or endeavor have you ever done that no because i'm like oh i want I want to have control over it. I'm a bit of a control freak. So mm. I want to make sure that it, you know, or, or even like a house reno. I'm like, no, the walls need to be white. Like, no, that needs to be this way. And sometimes I struggle with letting that go. So do you want to be that way forever? Do you want no. to be? <laughs> like, Ideally, no. Do you no. want to have employees and eventually have people oh, for that you sure. work with? For sure. But I think I'm, I've got a lot of room for improvement before that happens. And right. I'll have to fail before. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's super hard to find uh, someone that you work well enough with that you want to take the risk of starting a company together or a brand together. Oh, totally. Um, well, cool. I, th- I think, yeah, I think it's a super um, difficult conversation to have. And I think to your point, a lot of people do wonderful things in this community. There's tons of amazing people. I... What I don't think, I, I think that the the amount of activity that's um, allocated to trying to solve the bigger issues, the mm-hmm. dirtier issues, mm-hmm. like like for example, the like the the sewage treatment plant in Hood River that's way over capacity, yeah. right? Like these kind of dirty problems that are critical infrastructure. Everyone kind of looks past them or it's we don't really want to talk about them yeah it's like not an issue until it's a super big issue you know like I think it was always a a conversation in our family that you know we're gonna run out of oil before you even get your driver's license and I remember being like no we're not (laughs) and we didn't and you know what if we did like as if we actually ran out of oil like it dried up you and I would have had a very different upbringing Right. We would have a very different life, but the conversation around it, like we're close to running out of oil. We're close. Well, it's not changing. If I fill up my car every day, right. I still commute all the time. I drive him. I put like more than 20,000 miles on my car a year. Right. And 
and, and gas prices went up and I'm still driving. Like how much does it take for us to really pivot in our lifestyle and our society? Like, oh my gosh, we literally can't flush the toilet anymore. We've got a huge issue in Hood River. We've over overpopulated. Now we've got an issue. But right. us talking about it, we're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that's an issue. Yeah, it does smell bad when I'm at the beach every day and the wind's howling from the west. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely requires addressing the higher level, like being realistic about what you're actually going to change. But that reminded me of something that I recently learned that kind of changed my perspective because um, like back, back to oil and people are saying we're going to run out of oil. This is something that happened, I believe, like, from late 90s early 2000s that i had no idea because we're so young that's like our childhood mm -hmm. but that was like the fracking revolution that's when yeah. fracking was like invented so essentially and you're saying that they, they they found a solution well so they yeah essentially there was all these oil fields in the united states that in canada <laughs> yeah, in Canada, that they didn't know how to extract oil from. And they found this new method that was mm -hmm. way cheaper and way more effective. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's made us, some might argue, more dependent on oil. Yeah, way more addicted. But at the same time, it's like, it's giving, it's it's lifting all, like, the the quality of life that the the lower economic classes like the increases that they've seen since the industrial revolution. And since mm -hmm. we started using tons of oil, it's massive improvements. So it's when people talk about just like, oh, we need to, we need to stop using oil. It's like, okay, but we need, we need a plan, right? right. There's no. An exit what, strategy for sure. Like a lot of times I think some extreme environmentalists will argue that we just need to stop using oil and that's, that's better no matter what mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. using oil. But that's like an economic genocide almost. I think we have to really shift our lifestyles more than shift how we put another Band-Aid on something. You know, like, oh, the, and maybe this is a bad example because I do love electric cars, but maybe we need to transition into something completely different than driving a car. Like, okay, now we're all on electric cars. There's got to be an issue with that. We can't all just go to electric. Right. Um, I mean, I, remember last, was it 2020 when the gas, the natural gas was out in, in Hood River? Right. I mean, we all second guessed, oh my gosh, we all have natural gas heating our homes. Maybe that's not the greatest option. Right. Um, at and, the time, my parents had oil furnace, like they still have an oil burning furnace. And I went home for Christmas. Greatest thing that happened that year for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think it's a, it's a very, that's the point is that these incremental changes don't move the needle. And not only with our own, it's not just the effect that one person has, but also as a society, mm -hmm. if we all just change our life a little bit, that's not good enough. I know it can get really overwhelming and daunting for me. Like sometimes if I dwell on it, and maybe this is what would create change, but sometimes when I dwell on it, I get really overwhelmed and I think, okay, what brings me happiness today? Right. <laughs> so driving to the ski hill with my car, my gas goes in car and wearing my synthetic, you know, oil product. It's just like, it's so overwhelming to think about. Like sometimes I really want to hide under a rock and just avoid the news because I want to just do something that's, you know, selfish and it's a sport that makes me happy. Right. And I think, I think there's nothing wrong. We should totally, we all have 
the right to be happy and we have the right to use oil. But I would argue that we're better off using a car that uses oil, uses petroleum Mm -hmm. to power itself and use that car to do things that do try and move the needle or at least like I, I think it's just important like human the 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 most powerful skill that humans have is adaptation right mm-hmm. we can adapt to anything but we need to give our ch- ourselves the chance and we need to we need to do it happily we need to right. do it joyfully how can we like hide uh, an experience that we you know that we don't want to do, but in a fun way. <laughs> right. Or, or just can we, how can we be happy even though we failed? Mm. Right. Like we need to try and move the needle in a significant way, but we still need to go skiing and we still need to like live, live life and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we need to work hard, but if we don't love life, we're not going to work hard. Exactly. For sure. But it's, yeah, it's this paradox. And I agree. It, it does get, um, I guess I guess part of the reason that I want to talk about it more is because I feel like the conversation has got tainted overly mm. with distasteful, unuseful like conversation where it's it's not actually going anywhere. There's no end in sight. There's like it's complete. It's t- totally abysmal, mm-hmm. and it's like this is depressing, mm-hmm. right? No one wants to talk about that. But I'm not convinced. I think we have way more, like, look at, like you were saying, look at all the engineers in Hood River. There's so much innovative potential just mm-hmm. in engineering alone. But I think for a lot for this reason, because it's distasteful to discuss these problems together and to believe that we can make a change, no one really wants to, to change these oh, that's, things. That's a very interesting It's like we just, we just need to have a, a more positive outlook on it. And embrace failure, mm-hmm. make your point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's something that we're taught, though. You know, we're taught to, like, do well and do well in school and make sure that every time, you know, you get an A, don't fail on it. Right. Um, Absolutely. I think that was maybe something that shaped my appreciation for failure is I didn't go to a traditional school growing up. So mm. it, I wasn't afraid to, like, really mess up. Yeah. I th- I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I had a similar upbringing and it's, it's really hard to, that's, that's another big question is how do you educate? Like what's the right solution for education? And I think it's the parents' biggest stress. I mean, we've seen a huge influx of people homeschooling their kids. I, my parents unschooled my ki- unschooled me, which was, you know, the hippie version <laughs> where they didn't go to school. Um, it was almost like school was bad at the time. So you, what is, what do you mean you didn't go to school? So I did not attend public school until I was in grade nine. But would you do homeschool? We didn't like sit down and study. We, my parents brought, you know, the, their workplace and their life into, into the home. So if we wanted to learn about something, we would pursue it, but it was never a sit down. Like I would, I would definitely... I was a self-starter and self-led and I'd say, Hey mom, I'm sitting down today and I'm going to do my math homework or my like workbook. Huh? And she's like, okay, but. So she gave you things like tools to use, but she didn't, there was no structure or force. There was no, no, not a lot of structure. No. Like we were in all of the extracurricular activities, all the sports. 
Socialization mm. was not an issue in my life. Right. Um, and we traveled quite a bit every fall. So we'd always experience like, okay, now we're in Europe. We're going to do a scrapbook about this place. Like this is the history. So that was like our history lesson. And then we'd incorporate, you know, my dad would build a table and tell me, okay, see this dimension here? Like this is what A plus B plus C, you know, this is the math equation I'm using here. Like it was very informative, but it was never sit down. We never sat down to do schoolwork. Wow. And that's, I feel like, I mean, do you feel like that... That sounds wonderful. Has it held you back in any way or do you, do you, would you do the same thing with your potential children? I think that for a long time I was very embarrassed about it. I did not like the way that I was raised. I thought it was so weird and hippie and just unconventional. Um, but I definitely think it's it's proven to me that there's a lot of great things that came out of it, like being self-motivated. I think it's like that is something most people are like, oh, wow, you just started that? Like weren't you afraid to fail? Like you had said. Mm. Um, and I think not having that pressure from whether it's the public school system or having that pressure to always excel, I think was a huge benefit to me now. So would I raise my kids that way? I would definitely have a more unique approach to raising my kids than I think most people would, but that's just because it's the way I was raised. Do you feel like it held you back in any way? Definitely that not. That you care about? No, I mean, in, I remember in grade six, I thought, I want to go to school. Send me to public school. My best friend was in public school, and I just that's all I wanted to do was go to public school because I, you know, knew people from all the sports I did. Um, and I remember my parents definitely creating some resistance. So as soon as I finally went to high school, I remember my dad would ask me every day, how was school? And I just freaking loved it. I said, it's, mm -hmm. it was great. I loved it. Because if I said I didn't like it, he'd say, you don't have to go. Yeah. It was just, I was so passionate about it. And again, I think that's why, um, I just, I'm like excited about things to do. Cause I didn't, I'm excited about life because I, I get to do them rather than I have to do them. Mm. I was never forced to go to school. So it was just like, I get to go to school. Oh my gosh. I get to wake up so early. And, and did you genuinely enjoy public school? Like sitting in class and being forced <laughs> to do all these meaningless assignments and so my first year of school was in grade nine. So it wasn't super useless. You didn't end up going. I thought you said six. No, I never went in grade six. I wanted to go in grade six. I begged my parents for two, three oh, years. Oh, but they didn't let you until grade nine. Not like didn't let me, but they were like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, why okay. don't you? Gotcha. You know, so in grade nine, I went to the super alternative outdoor school. <laughs> um, and then in grade 10 and 11 and 12, I was in a public school. Interesting. And do you feel like it's like... I feel like reading and math would be hard things to, and, and like writing. Do you feel like those skills have oh, you've developed them? Oh, kids are them? so resilient and they are, they learned so quickly. There was zero, I was not challenged. Like it was not a struggle. Interesting. I mean, I would say that math isn't my favorite thing to do, but it, when I look at my brother, he's really good at math. So right. we were raised the same. It's just the way that we are. I love to write. I'm not a big reader, but I just, neither is my mom. <laughs> she went to public school. Right. Um, I think we really put a lot of pressure on the fact that when kids go to school, that's where they're going to learn. But like, if you have a book in your house, you were raised with like a bookshelf, you're probably going to naturally pick up a book and want to learn to read. It's right. just natural. Like kids are so curious and so innocent and vulnerable and resilient. They just, they do, they, it's amazing how kids learn. It's not to me, a shock that it was 
I didn't struggle at all going into school. No. Right. Mm -mm. Yeah. That's, that's really, I feel like that's the one place that if like, if a kid didn't have the tools to read at home or to write at home or for whatever reason, if they weren't curious about it, that's the one place where you could kind of get held up. Cause Oh, if you grew up in a house though, with absolutely no books, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Right. It's laughable. You don't know any kid that grew up with zero books. Right. I mean, we didn't have screens in our family either, which was definitely a huge, I'm like grateful for that. But I think that was also just the sign of the times. I mean, we didn't have a TV, but like we definitely didn't have phones at all either. Right. I think that's the biggest struggle for parents nowadays. I know being a nanny when I lived in Australia, that was like the biggest, a screen would come out and it was like all of the attention was there. Right. Like it's such a fascinating thing to humans. We're all addicted to them. Yeah, it's like they're designed to addict us to them. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's pretty sad because I can't imagine. Like, it's so it's so much work for a parent now to keep screens away from their kid, right? It is, but like we, it, it was also work when I was raised, and we didn't have screens. We didn't have a TV at all in the house. Right. Like never. But your phone, your parents didn't have cell phones, probably right, or like. Or, phones with big screens not with big screens because they weren't even around when i was a kid right but that's my point nowadays there's you have to be so much more conscious everywhere yep right like the freaking picture frame is a screen now (laughs) for sure for sure yes yes Um, i think modern technology has definitely been it's posed its um issues but it's also created a lot of solutions for things so do you Do you have any opinions on having kids? Do you want to have kids? Oh, I'll definitely have kids. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. I absolutely love kids. I mean, when I was 17. Yeah, what day? (laughs) (laughs) It's all planned. (laughs) Um, Well, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm like 38 or like 35. No, I feel like that's the classic millennial timeline. It's like 35. Oh, I don't think I would wait that long, to be honest. I think I, from a very young age, I was like obsessed with children. I, babysat the minute I could like I was 11 years old and I went and got my babysitting license I would watch kids I've always adored kids um lived in Australia to be a nanny instead of going to college (laughs) um I'm sure I'll have kids but I don't know when or how many there's a babysitting license yeah well we took it in Canada maybe it's not a thing down here but I wanted to get that certification you take like infant CPR and you get sure I guess yeah it's like a yeah it's not like a root required thing no but i wanted to make sure that i had my ducks in a row that i could prove to every mom that i would watch their kids and it would be safe yeah that's probably a good idea totally (laughs) well thank you thank Um, you sean i think uh yeah i i I hope sometimes i feel like i derail the the i derail the conversation with you and like Oh, I'm just excited about this. I think this podcast is such an interesting, um, the backbone of it, it can really go anywhere. I think that's, what's really cool about it. Right. It's yeah, it's yeah. So I guess I, I really want to thank you cause I do appreciate your time and you coming and, and sharing your story. Cause I think it's, it's valuable, especially for young people to, to hear what the real world is like and, and how you thought about different things and, and what yeah, you've you don't have to and, just do the conventional way, I think is something that I hear a lot like oh wow you didn't go to college or oh wait you didn't even go to public school (laughs) right you know and you can still survive in this society yeah I I, yeah absolutely I don't I don't think you can you can set the bar too high 
I think you can only set the bar too low for failure. Maybe Totally. Right? Totally. <laughs> failure needs to be built into the equation. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. Not being afraid of it for sure. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Yoo-hoo. Thanks for tuning in guys. And we look forward to bringing you guys some more content soon. Be well.